It's the 18th of August, 2021. Come to develop samadhi and cultivate our minds. And so this firm establishment of the mind, uh, samadhi, what is that like? And how do we develop that? We need to bring our minds to a meditation object. So for the monastics, you could use uh, hair of the head, hair of the body, nails, teeth and skin, and go through this back and forth. We'll contemplate one aspect of the 32 parts of the body, ati or the bones, for instance, keeping this as the focal point of our minds. And this is a means to bring our mind to peace. So during the time of the Buddha, there was one monk who was developing this meditation object of the bones and uh, reciting atikang, atikulang, um, contemplating the bones and their repulsive nature. And so there was a woman who walked past him, but he didn't see a body of a human. He saw just skeletons walking. And then soon after, her husband came looking for this woman and asked this monk, have you seen a woman walk past? And he responded that no, he hadn't. He didn't see any woman. He just saw a skeleton. So this showed that his samadhi was firmly established and uh, he could sustain that samadhi to be able to perceive uh, people as just skeletons. And um, so we develop these meditation objects um, ourselves, use one of these objects in order for the mind to be brought into peace. And it's possible that when it's in that calm state, uh, then the Dhamma will manifest. And so we may be contemplating into the nature of anicca, dukkha, anatta, this change, stress, and not self. And it's possible for the state of the Dhamma to appear. And so we can maybe see just these four elements. The body is being comprised of these four elements. Or perhaps we feel as though there's electricity running through the body. And so we know that this body is made up of uh, protons, neutrons, and electrons. But perhaps we actually see that, um, see the body coursing with this electricity. Um, with these different particles. And so when the mind is peaceful, that it may see the body in this light, see it as just a heap of elements that have come together. I feel electricity or the energy of the body. Perhaps feel the energy of the liquid, the water element. Feel the energy of the heat or the fire there. Or maybe feel and see the earth element in a very subtle way. And so when the mind is in a peaceful state, in samadhi, then it sees things like this. So these are the methods to bring the mind to peace. But if we see anicca, dukkha, anatta, through those methods, then that's wisdom arising. And when this wisdom comes up, we're able to put things down, abandon things. Initially in the practice, it's all to do with me. It's all concerned with a sense of self. When the defilements arise, then they're my defilements, and they arise within my mind. And this body, too, is me. 
And when I do merit, then it's me doing it. When the, thought, the mind thinks something good, then it's my mind that's thinking these good thoughts of mine. And if it's something that's not good, then this is my badness, kind of my bad thoughts. Feelings of happiness, feelings of sadness, these are all mine. And when our lives are like this, when we see things in this, then this me and mine is the cause for suffering to arise. The Buddha, however, was very intelligent in the way that he taught and laid down this path. He said that if we still have um, a me, a mind which belongs to me, and we have, sorry, he he taught that really in the end um, that we'll gain knowledge that there really isn't anything which is me or mine. But that's the end of the path. Um, But in the beginning, we have to sacrifice, we have to abandon our selfishness. And even though we still have the sense of self, we take that to um, and develop that sense of self, make it better. But if the mind doesn't have really any true knowledge, if it's always under the power of the kilesas, um, then the, this greed, hatred, and delusion are the roots of all unskillful and evil deeds will constantly be manifesting. But the state of mind that's lacking greed, hatred, and delusion, this is a skillful state. And so the Buddha taught for us to sacrifice like this, to be generous to help out in our society, to give our assistance to those people who are going through hard times. And so then we develop these selves of ours from ones that don't know, ones that are immoral, ones that always just follow their moods. And then we come to to be generous, uh, to be moral. And so we give um, and we help each other out. And then as we carry on following this, then maybe a wisdom or a sense of faith comes up that uh, is imbued with wisdom. And we gain more faith into the generosity that we do, these generous deeds. So if we're able to to do this, to be generous like this, then that means they were able to put down the delusion to one degree. This delusion that we have with regards to our attachments, to our possessions, to our wealth. And so we're able to give some of those away, to sacrifice some. And then through doing that, we feel this inner ease, and our heart fills up with contentment, happiness. So we can observe how children often really like to offer things to the monks on arms round. Because when they do that, then they feel this ease inside their heart. And it's just natural that when we give, then we feel that way. There's this merit that comes up within the heart, this goodness. When we feel at ease, the heart feels bright and light. And so we are able to put down um, more and more this attachment that we have to me and mine. And as a result, 
the heart feels lighter and lighter. But when we have, still have, the sense of self, this body is me and my wealth is mine, um, then we can think how if we were to just keep all of that wealth, then when we die, no benefit would come from it. So then it would be better to be generous and give some of it away. Um, to make merit, to help people out and use our wealth in that way. And to keep some for times of sickness, to keep some to support our family. And so we raise up goodness um, in this way. But if we just follow our emotions, so if we feel like doing something, then we do it. If we feel like saying something, then we just say that, then that's not right. It shows that uh, the mind is in quite a low state. Perhaps it um, doesn't have much sila dhamma, it doesn't have much in the way of virtue. And even though we may do things um, in line with the laws of the country that we live, um, so that's good to one degree, but it may not be so correct in terms of uh, virtue, in terms of sila dhamma. But we see that there's a suffering that arises in the heart due to this lack of sila. And so then we come to care for this virtue. And so we, we have that intent um, to take care of the precepts, to keep them. And that's good, looking after these precepts. Um, and that brings up inner peace. It's a great form of merit of skillfulness. And that really is the benefit of sila, is of inner peace. And it's a noble wealth that we generate. And so the sila also forms the path that can take us to nibbana. So when we have a self, and then we should try to make the self a good self, to develop it. From a putujana, one thick with defilements, uh, to a kalyanachana, a beautiful being, a good being, one with a beautiful mind. And so this beautiful mind, it has this goodness, and also has hiri and otapa, some um, skillful, wise sense of shame and fear of wrongdoing. But even though, or as we develop this path, then we see that even though we may be generous, even though we may have sila, even though there may be some degree of peace and happiness, even though we may have everything we need in this life, still the heart suffers. And that suffering is due to our views, which are not yet correct. It's not yet samaditi. So we need to train ourselves. We see this noble truth of suffering, and then we try to find a path out of that suffering. But there's still a self that's there, the self that doesn't like to suffer. It's me who wants to get out of the situation. And so we really put our efforts into being generous, into being virtuous, into supporting uh, Buddhism, and having faith in the Buddha's teachings.
But maybe our samadhi isn't yet firmly established. So then what do we do in that state? Perhaps we go and read, we study different things, study the scriptures. And we study with people who have knowledge of these matters. And then we find out that we need to bring our minds to peace. We need to make them calm. Because in their current state, they're not yet still. They're thinking a lot. They're always following these sense impressions that come in. And when these sense impressions arise, then we attach to them as being me and mine. And in that case, there's just suffering which appears. So therefore we need to train our minds um, in a meditation object. And perhaps we use our wisdom to do that, to contemplate, and that's okay. To think about how all physical things, all mental things, are not me, not mine. And then through doing this, the heart gains some peace, and it gains some degree of intelligence as well. And maybe joy, happiness arise within the heart. Or we can focus on the breath, and know the in-breath, know the out-breath. It's also possible to use this word buddho along with that. And so the joy arises. And there are many different things that happen uh, when joy comes up. Uh, Perhaps the hairs of our body stand on end. Perhaps we get goosebumps or tears flow down our cheeks. The body may expand and grow very light. It may go very tall or it may go very short or it may just fall uh, beneath the earth, or perhaps it floats in the air. And so these are different feelings that come up, or there may be a coolness that courses through the body. And so this is joy coming up. And when there's there's peace, there's this joy, um, then this happens, and this is due to the samadhi, the firm establishment of the heart. So we use that energy of samadhi to contemplate so that we gain wisdom and then we gain this wisdom then this knowledge there's clarity of the way that we see things and we're able to perceive how all physical and mental things are unstable stressful and not self and then through this we're able to put them down temporarily let go of our attachments But even so, it's still me who is walking this path of practice. But if we look even deeper, um, then we understand that this knowledge, this understanding, that it's just knowledge. It's just knowledge of the body, for instance. And it's not me, it's not mine. And so we know And we also lay down that knowledge, that it's just knowledge. The body is just the body. The mind is just the mind. Knowing is just knowing. And we put these things down. And so this is the means to the way that we abandon the sense of self. That even this knowledge is not me. And we allow that knowledge to follow nature, to arise and cease that this knowledge arises and ceases, the defilements arise and cease, everything arises and ceases. But in the beginning, however, we take it as me, that I am abandoning the defilements. These defilements are mine, 
the one who abandons them is me. And so it's wisdom that allows us to let go of these attachments. Um, But if we attach to that wisdom, then there's a sense of self that's arising. A self comes up, and even though it may be a good self, it's still a self that we're attaching to. And so conceit can then come up, um, that I am better than others. Or perhaps if we're lacking in wisdom, then I am lower than others. And so this conceit, this uh, mana ditti, um, comes up and we attach to things in this way. And so we need to then let go again. Even though knowledge arises, we put down that knowledge, we don't attach to it. But some people can ask, well, why do we practice then? Do we practice for the sake of nothing at all? But we should teach our minds that if we have anything, then that's a cause for suffering to arise. And so we practice for the sake of this knowledge, um, so that we can abandon the suffering that appears in the heart. And in the end, we're able to lay everything down. Even this knowledge, we can put that down. In the initial phases of the practice, however, We still have me in mind, we still have the sense of self. And so we take that self to develop these spiritual virtues, and we do that incrementally in stages. We abandon all harmful deeds. We cultivate skillfulness, and we make the mind pure. And so those people who don't have wisdom... Um, then they really attach to the sense of self, this me and mine. Perhaps they don't have sila, they're not virtuous, so maybe they're not generous, and even uh, worse, they go and steal things. They do these things, but it's possible for them to then claim that I'm not doing it, there's no me, I'm not stealing, or I'm not angry, this anger isn't mine. I don't have hate. And these are just hollow words that they're saying. Um, They're saying these things, but really it's just delusional. It's the ignorance and the darkness there within the mind that's actually speaking these words. And really this is the lowest kind of mind. But a mind that's higher than this is one that has virtue. It has this sila dhamma and it has the happiness that it gains from that virtue. It has skillfulness and merit there within the heart. And so it's, this is a good mind, a beautiful mind. So we try to abandon all harmful things. And those which have yet to arise, we try, we put our effort into not allowing them to arise. And then we cultivate merit, we cultivate skillfulness. And we do this frequently. And that which has arisen already, we nurture that, we look after it. And so we are ones who have effort, who are really intent on building up goodness in this way. And if samadhi arises, then we use the energy of that. um, And we try to look after that energy and keep the mind in a peaceful state. Because this attachment happens very quickly. As soon as the 
external sense media contacts the internal sense organs and we gain that sensation we um, cognize that then the mind immediately latches on to this so we need to bring up a knowledge which is up to speed with this process we take this one who knows to teach the mind and so this is that which teaches the mind this one who knows it's what looks after the mind so that it gains understanding that we shouldn't attach to anything because these things they're not sure these things they're unstable so this act of teaching our minds sometimes it's possible for us to do that in a in a physical way in an outward way and there was one elderly monk um, who was a friend of Lumpucha. And when he went out on arms rounds and then came back into the monastery, um, sometimes there were still residual feelings there within his heart, some desire, some attraction there towards the things that he had seen on arms rounds. And so before he came into the monastery, then he would kind of shout at himself, and say, don't follow me in here. You're not allowed to come in as well. And he would shout very loudly. And um, so really it's, it's okay to do this internally as well. It's not necessary to, to shout out loud. But that's what this monk did. And he was teaching his mind not to attach, not to cling to these things, these experiences that had happened in the past that having this like and this attraction, it's not correct, and teaching himself not to follow these things. And so he really did this. He was really sincere in that, really took this practice for real, teaching his mind in this way. And so it's okay for us to teach our minds internally. It's also okay for us to express that externally as well. And to be meditating, to be cultivating and teaching our minds, instructing them. And so sometimes we can shout at the kilesas in this way. And Lumpu Tongrat, one of Lumpu Cha's teachers, um, there was a time when he had um, liking attraction towards uh, physical forms or towards the bodies of people. And so he got an axe and he started hacking away at a log and telling himself to put these things down, to put these feelings down and just carried on doing that, meditating and reciting his meditation word as he was hacking away and in the end his mind came together gathered into smarty and he was able to let go and eventually he could attain to arahantship so he was very skilled he also had some special knowledges as well. And when Lumpu Cha uh, went to him to study under him, uh, to learn his methods of meditation, upon seeing Lumpu Cha, he said, Ah, Cha, you've come already. And so he knew Lumpu Cha's name. And perhaps we've read of this happening in the life of the Buddha, uh, that when the Buddha was staying outside of Rajagir, and he went on, oh sorry, um, and Ananda Pindaka went to see him for the first time. 
And when he entered into the monastery, then the Buddha called out his name. This also happened uh, with Yasa as well. When Yasa uh, went into the uh, deer park, and the Buddha, upon seeing him, said, uh, here it's not horrifying, here it's not chaotic. And so this great faith and joy arose within Yasa. And so the Buddha, he knew his name as well. And so it's possible then for us to, to use these methods, to shout at our defilements, and to, to train ourselves, to teach ourselves in this way. So we're teaching our minds to not attach, teaching them to gather into peace, to be able to let go of things. So we take this one who knows to teach our minds, and then they'll be able to let go, able to put down. But we shouldn't attach to that one who knows either. And the Buddha taught this very clearly. He said that even though he knew uh, the nature of all forms and feelings and the mind and the Dhamma, um, that he also didn't attach to that knowledge in any way. But when we start out in the practice, it's possible to be quite confused about this teaching. We think that I have delusion and therefore I want some knowledge in order to free myself from suffering. And um, and we attach to that in terms of self. But if we're looking at this even more deeply, we see that we shouldn't attach even to that knowledge. And because if we attach to that knowledge, then suffering will arise. And we don't want for any suffering to come up. In the beginning, however, we may not understand this clearly. And so what we do is we abandon any harmful states, and we try to give rise to merit and goodness, and we do this initially. Try to bring our minds to peace and contemplate, and then we can slowly let go. And we do this just bit by bit, bringing the mind to purity little by little. Even though as we're walking this path, we still have a me and a mind that's walking it. But when the mind gathers together, we can see into anatta, into not-self. And the mind becomes empty. And we gain one level of understanding. We can understand to a degree how really there isn't a true self there, that all things are empty. But still there's some attachment there. It's not yet full awakening, it's not yet arahantship. And so there's still a sense of self, but it's a self which is good, a self which is skillful. You see how we don't want any harmful states. We want to develop goodness. We want to try and put down all evil, try to cultivate this merit. And we see how samadhi is a good thing. When the mind is in a state of samadhi, then that's a very good state that it's in. And this can allow us to abandon liking and disliking. So we just carry on training ourselves in this way, steadily contemplating like this, and eventually the mind reaches peace. And sometimes this can be quite difficult, though. 
Maybe one day there's peace, but another day the mind's just all over the place. It's a bit of a mess. And this can just go back and forth, back and forth like this, but we have to just carry on fighting in this way. And this is a battle that's going on between the defilements and Marga, the path. When Sila, Samadhi and Banya within the mind are weak and the defilements have greater energy, then the defilements, they have the upper hand and they're defeating the path. But when the Marga has more energy, then it's able to win out over the defilements. And so this is a battle which is going on within the mind, a battle between the defilements and the path. And these defilements, they've had power over our minds for a really, very long time already. So it does take practice, it does take training to abandon them. It does take putting up a good fight. But as we do this, then the mind becomes better and better. And that's due to the endurance, forbearance that we have and due to the practice that we engage in. Even though there's still a me and a mine, we try to abandon all harmful things and we try to walk this path of skillfulness, of goodness. If any liking or disliking come up, we try to put those things down. Try to bring up a mindfulness which is up to speed with things, which is able to teach us that these things, they're unstable, they're not sure. We shouldn't attach to them. So whatever emotions arise, whatever way that the mind proliferates, we tell ourselves it's not sure, it's unstable. If it's liking or disliking, it's not sure, it's unstable. If we like something a lot, we tell ourselves it's not sure. If we hate something, we tell ourselves it's not sure. And we just carry on doing this. We take up this teaching of not sure like this and use that to teach our minds. And when the mind lays down all of its attachments, then it becomes free. So we use this marga, we use this path of sila, samadhi and panya to teach and train our minds. And then through doing this, then the mind gains right view. And when it has right view, then the defilement simply can't arise. So when we're putting an effort on this path, then any defilements which come up, we abandon them. Any unarisen defilements, we try to not allow them to arise. And any meritorious good things, we do those things. But even the meritorious deeds that we do, it's still concerned with defilement as well, because there's still a sense of self there. But still, we try to do this goodness. We just carry on in this way, initially, until it reaches a point where we're able to put everything down. So it's kind of like if we're traveling to an island, and we need a boat to get there. And it's only when we reach the shore that we're able, or that we should, let go of this boat. So Sila, Samadhi and Panya is like the boat. And while we're still traveling, then we shouldn't let go of it. Because we need to depend upon this boat, we need to depend upon Sila, Samadhi and Panya first. But it's only when we reach there, when we get there, when we attain, that we can let go of this. So initially there's me who is virtuous, 
a me who has samadhi. It's my mind that has wisdom. And we just carry on like this, just carry on practicing until we get to the point where um, we see that there really isn't anyone at all. And even though we may speak and use words uh, of me and mine, we're just talking in terms of convention. So we just carry on like this, we practice in this way. Sometimes conceit arises, but we just watch that. And we tell ourselves, it's not sure, it's inconstant. We ask ourselves, well, who is this? Who is angry? Who is conceited? And if the mind responds with, it's me who's conceited, well, then we ask, well, where is this me? If it was me who was angry, me who was hateful, me who's conceited, well, then do I want these things? And we don't want them. Well, if we don't want them, then why do we have them? Are we able to just tell them to go away? Because we know that these things, they're not good. We know that they cause us to suffer. So we don't wish for them to be there. We want for them to go away. We want to abandon them. But they don't go, even though we tell them to. Because the causes and conditions for them to be there are still present. So even though we command them in certain ways, they don't listen to us. So we need to bring up this process of the practice of sila, samadhi and panya in order to reach this end. And just like Dika Naka Brahman, uh, the long-nailed Brahman, um, who was climbing up Vulture's Peak in order to find a place which no one had ever died before. And so the Buddha asked him, upon meeting him, what are you doing? And he said, I'm trying to find a place where no one has died. And the Buddha said that you yourself have died here many times already. So this Brahman, he was a nephew of Venerable Sariputta. And he had a view which he liked a lot. And this view of his was that the things which he find, found pleasing, then he wanted those. And it was appropriate for him to get those. The things which he found displeasing, then he didn't want them and he shouldn't get them. And he thought that having this view, it's really a source of ease. And that the things he liked, that they would make him happy and so he should get those. The things that are a cause of suffering, he didn't want them at all. So the Buddha asked him, what about old age, sickness and death? Do you like these things? And he said, no. Well then, are you going to get them? And he said, well yes, I will. And when you get these things, will that be a source of happiness or a source of suffering for you? And he said that he would suffer because of them. So we understood that even though he didn't want them, still he would have to get them. And when that happened, then he would suffer. But really, these things are just normal things. And um, it's at the place of normality that we're able to see the Dhamma, that an understanding can arise within the heart. So really, evil is something that's just normal. You can understand that this evil, it's not me. And if the mind has samadhi, then it's able to separate out um, the objects from the mind itself. 
But if it doesn't have samadhi, then it will see them as being mixed together. So we must train ourselves first, just carry on doing this, developing mindfulness, developing samadhi, until this becomes firmly established. And then we can see clearly at this point, these things, they're not me, they're not mine. But this requires our practice, it requires our... Um, it requires this process and for us to walk along this path. If any feelings appear within the mind, then we put those things down. So the five hindrances, that of desire for sensuality, of ill will, of restlessness, of doubt, of drowsiness, um, these two are just dhammas which appear within the mind. And if we see them deeply, then we see them as just being dhammas. Um, that they're just a form of unskillful or um, harmful dhammas or qualities. But then there's also the skillful qualities as well. So the seven factors for awakening the four foundations of mindfulness, the four factors for success, the five um, faculties, the five powers, and the eightfold path. And these are all the wings to awakening, that which allows us to attain to uh, the paths, the fruitions, and nibbana. And so these are skillful qualities. But while we're still practicing, developing samadhi, um, then it's me who's developing samadhi. It's me who has faith, it's me who has effort. But we just carry on developing these qualities until joy and happiness arise. And But that joy and happiness is my joy, my happiness as well. It's me who's developing this path, me who's abandoning um, evil or unskillful states. But when we truly contemplate the Dhamma, then we see Dhamma is just Dhamma. It's not a being, it's not a self, it's not an other. We're able to abandon it and put it down. That all, I'm sorry, that we uh, go beyond um, evil and above merit. We go beyond birth and above death go beyond cause and above effect, able to put things down, see things as just being Dhamma. But if we're still not there yet, then we're attaching to a sense of self. But there's no need to let this become a cause for concern. It's me who's walking this path, me who has mindfulness, who has samadhi. This joy that's arising is my joy. But we just contemplate those things. This joy arises and ceases. And so we contemplate this nature of arising and ceasing like this. And we try to do this frequently, try to do this a lot. If any sense of self comes up, then we can contemplate and ask ourselves, well, where is me? Where is mine? When the mind is attached to the sense of self, then it uh, proliferates in this way. And so it's me who's walking this path, me who's abandoning evil, me who's developing goodness, skillfulness. But we just carry on with that, and taking this me to abandon liking and disliking, 
And so that this mind of mine becomes better, becomes more and more pure, until eventually it reaches the state of complete purity, able to contemplate in a way that allows us to understand that there isn't really a me, and the Dhamma appears here. So when this Dhamma comes up, um, then we still use these conventional terms of it's a me who is walking this path and a me who knows. But we also know truly that these things just arise and cease. See how everything in the present is arising and ceasing. And all the things that will happen in the future will arise and cease as well. So in the beginning we just carry on doing this. We practice little by little, gain knowledge little by little, see clearly, slowly but surely. We carry on putting in our effort, bring up our patience and endurance. And then eventually um, this insight will just happen all by itself. So this listening to the Dhamma, being generous, being one who is self-sacrificing, supporting Buddhism, these are all very good things to do. This is all a great form of merit. And then we also are virtuous. We keep the five precepts and the eight precepts on some occasions. We chant, we meditate. And it's very difficult to find people who are like this in this world. It shows that we are ones who have a lot of goodness to us. It's like we're devas, with the bodies of humans, but the minds of devas. And so we just carry on training like this until eventually the mind uh, becomes pure. So may all of you put an effort on this path and may all of you meet with success in your mental cultivation. <laughs>